All right, hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is another episode of our show. My name is Bojan Stanislavski. With me is the usual co-host of the show, Maria Chernat. And we have two guests, uh, Yuris Mauter, who is the host of One Plus One, a podcaster on YouTube, and Arto Artignan, the fr- you know, a friend of the show and a frequent guest uh, on our programs. Uh, he's a Bulgarian-American academic and uh, a socialist uh, socialist analyst <laughs> Uh, and uh, socialist slash communist. <laughs> okay, right, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, we're we're discussing this is the second segment of our discussion about uh, what you referred to in the previous uh, episode, uh, referred to as anti-communist leftism. Uh, and uh, all of you had the chance to sort of provide your initial comments uh, on this notion. So uh, let me do that too. First of all, I want to say that I indeed think it is an important topic, but the question is, for whom is it important? And uh, how, if it is solved, then how it is going to be helpful? And again, who is going to benefit from that? Now, if we assume that at one point it is possible through some metaphysical means to change, to, to create some kind of major change, a sort of, you know, transgression in the consciousness of the masses of people who are split in various organizations in the West and East and everywhere, like who belong to this general uh, framework called the left, and they suddenly all become uh, non-anti-communist. Well, that's that's uh, that would be really fantastic, but I think it would major it would be a major sigh of relief for all of us. I mean, for you, for all of us here, the four of us here and our friends and our comrades, that, that would be a great sigh of relief. Uh, and I think we would be happy and we would be cheering for, you know, days. But uh, the question is whether that would really change anything. Because, you see, the point about the left is not just that it is confused. It is confused and horribly isolated. And fact of the matter is that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, its program, in terms of its postulates, in terms of all political uh, manifestations that the political organizations can have, they are ignorant and uh, they are not in touch with the kind of massive political emotions that are out there. So I think the biggest problem of the left is not really its uh, communism or anti-communism. I think it's a it's an intellectual, political, programmatic thing but the you know it would not be really so important had there been any kind of connection between the left and the masses that it claims to that it claims it wants to represent so you know i've had this position like maria explained and arto explained and uh, and you yuri as well that you know we should and and we should try and educate the uh, the left not to be anti-communist well you know i've i've dedicated a lot of thought to this notion and on the basis of my experience for example with the polish left i can tell you that it is not possible it is not possible because the current left those people who form the left organizations today including those that are in the parliament including those that are you know the so-called independent left which are just small groups calling themselves communist socialists or something like that they are not interested in it I mean, they are they are not doing anything serious. They are not putting themselves out there because they want to create a movement. They do not want power. They just want to run their own little shows 
And that's fine. The problem is only that it's called politics for reasons which I can't quite comprehend. And, you know, my bitter experience is that I used to be a member of many of those organizations. And, you know, the moment I stopped being a member of, of each and every of them was the fact that I just discovered that it's all about posturing. It's all about, you know, uh, creating some kind of social circle of people who are going to, uh, well, have a lot of... Uh, you know, social experience together, which is great again, but I don't, I don't see how it has any uh, much to do with politics. And, uh, you know, even if you change those people's minds, even if you change their mind, then where, what is, what, what is the overall benefit going to be? I mean, there are going to be a little less anti-communist in the world. That's good. But am I really going to dedicate, you know, the little time, the little energy, the little, uh, you know, resources that I have, uh, to educate people who are useless from political point of view anyway. Uh, the Polish left, for example, mm. you know, I, I could speak about the Bulgarian left as well, but the Polish left, including those people who are in the parliament, who are they and whom do they represent? Regardless of what they declare, what you declare doesn't matter. It matters what function you play within the architecture of the system where you're in. So they represent the voice of a tiny portion, a tiny portion of the Polish society which is not even the working class. I mean, there is some working class uh, elements in this tiny portion, but it's mostly people who are disappointed by Polish political figures like Donald Tusk, who used to be uh, the president of the European Council, uh, who are somehow uh, fed up with the kind of rigid conservatism of the Polish elites, not that they are not conservative themselves, they just don't want to be so rigid about it. They don't. They want to be somewhat flexible and they want to, you know, follow the path of modernity, let's say. Uh, so this tiny portion of people, because they hate law and justice, the party that you mentioned in your last segment, which I don't agree is a terroristic party, by the way. I don't agree it terrorizes the Polish society. I don't even agree with the notion that it terrorizes its own political enemies. It's it's a somewhat more repressive than uh, the previous parties used to be, but I don't agree it has to do with terrorism whatsoever. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, because law and justice is so disgusting, then, you know, you have this group of people who want to find their own place. They're looking for their sense of place. They don't want any revolution. They don't want any communism. They don't want any Marxism. They don't want any change whatsoever. They just want to feel comfortable. So they find this cozy little pinky place, you know, in, uh, you know, somewhere on the, on the outskirts of the Polish political life, and together with the other friends, they can go like, oh, law and justice is fascism. I hate them. We want democracy. We want human rights. Oh, my God, it's so horrible here. Everything's so conservative in Poland. I can't get abortion. You know, I mean, this is, this is precisely their stance. I mean, those people are a bunch of useless individuals and you know i i'm sorry i don't <laughs> my time and my my you know energy my money my you know the resources that i have in order to educate them like you know they in whatever direction you educate them they will remain to be useless because they are not serious about politics they don't quite even know what it is they're not serious about themselves they're not serious about anything that they do they're not serious about life i would claim many of them what, what they are serious about, some of them, the only serious element which I see, and I've seen that, and this has been my experience throughout my political activism in Poland since the uh, late 90s, is that many of those people join parties which you know claim to be communist, socialist, or something like that, or join organizations that all of them are parties, 
because they have some issues with their parents. Honestly, I mean, they, it's, it's just a generational thing. They want to demonstrate how they hate their parents or their grandparents because they are conservative, because they, want, they ask them every once in a while, when are you going to marry? When are you going to have children? And this is terror. This is conservative, you know, uh, oppression. Every once in a while, you encounter microaggressions and all the rest of it. And, and, and that's why they want to have this, this little safe space where they go and then they, they go there, they tap each other on the arm and they call it politics. Uh, Maria, I, can I, I interject? I'm sorry. Thank you. There is this saying in Poland, there is this saying in Poland, not my monkeys, not my circus. That's pretty much suits here. Well, guys, yeah, once I, I just want to say that, Boyan, so uh, I just want to respond just two minutes. So the idea is that I don't want research to educate these people. I was thinking uh, to myself this morning how disappointed I am also with the Romanian left. You have a bunch of academics running their own little circus, organizing a little conference and being, you know, thrilled by the idea that on Facebook... 1,000 people said that they are interested in their event. I mean, this is beyond ridiculous. This is beyond ridiculous. Then you have a bunch of activists over there complaining about how oppressed they are because they encountered the microaggressions. Then you have people who claim to be socialists but and feminist socialists, but at the same time advocate for the most reactionary ideas that you like may what? find. And... What? You know, this is so incredibly disappointing, and I've given up. I've given up. Like what? Like what? 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 What reactionary stuff? Well, we discussed a lot of times, and I don't want to make this discussion about that. But for me, a very reactionary idea is not to take work out of the production circuit and make it you know, all about profit, but to introduce even domestic labor into the circuit, you know. So for them, the ideal thing is to pay your mother because she baked some cookies, you know. Whereas my idea of progress would be to have some sort of income that would allow you to choose where to exercise your creative energies and work and not to make survival work and profit so closely connected. For me, that's very reactionary, but I don't want to make it about this. I just wanted to say that I do not want to educate these people. I want to educate the rest and I want to have meaningful research about what happened to us, Boyan, because I often have the, the, the sense that ever since we embraced this system where everybody searches to publish to gain points, I mean, how crazy is this? We are running like a chicken without a head. This is my idea. So we don't understand what happened to us. So if we don't understand what happened to us, how are we going to move forward? The basic thing is to have a meaningful reflection on recent events. This was my idea. And this is the end of my intervention. Before Arts, uh, I'm, cur- I'm curious Arto's response, but before we, uh, but, 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 but I just want to respond a little bit to Voyon's thing. Anyone who watches the, uh, the barricade and anyone who's, uh, and anyone who's been on one plus one knows that Voyon is a pessimist. <laughs> you, have, you have a tendency of this doomster gloomster thing, <laughs> which is why if anybody wants a little bit of optimism and, 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 and just a little bit of a counter to, to Boyon's doom and gloom, 
this is you know this is why we need Mogojatsa, uh, Kubacheska, Figats uh, on the program and 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 you. So just wanted to make that. But Arto, your uh, your your, uh, your response. Your, well, your my, response. I mean, obviously, I I, I agree with uh, with what Boyan and Maria said, and and actually what Yuri said. I, I my point is that. I'm, I'm, if I start from the empirical reality of, of, of my life and the life of my friends and our lives, right? Um, all I'm saying is that 30 years after the flawed socialist system was removed in Eastern Europe, we're on the verge of a nuclear war. We're on the verge of a, a European Union-wide economic implosion, and we're, in the, we're witnessing uh, what could be a severe financial crisis in the United States as well. So the initial empirical fact is that capitalism is a failed primitive system which is also extremely violent in the service of its ruling elites. And so if, if that's the empirical reality, that this system that supposedly replaced something that was flawed and it didn't work has basically ravaged the world and it ravages the world in different parts of the world in different sequences, you can say every 10 years roughly, how do we start conceptualizing and organizing to uh, participate in some kind of a mass popular event that that forces a different alternative before the nuclear war that might be precipitated by imperialist aggression um, uh, in Europe, uh, you know, by NATO, for example, uh, ends human life as we know it. So my, so my first problem is that the caricature that the left has become, because it is a caricature and we're in it, right? I mean, we see it uh, is, I think, is a symptom of loss of its, the relevancy of its political ideas, which power its politics practically. So that's the first problem, and that's the biggest problem. What are the fundamental political ideas that uh, we can propose as an alternative to the capitalist present? We know what the capitalists offer, and there are different stripes. We know what their version of the good life is. Well, what is the alternative? And I think that's the first problem is that the, the, the left broadly defined, the revolutionary left, actually, because social democracy is never interesting because it's just a, a, a strategic ally of, of the capitalist class, um, which kills socialists, you know, like Rosa Luxemburg and et cetera, um, or Salvador Allende and so on and so forth. The, the revolutionary and the trend, I, let's not words that, use that word because some people might get scared because it'll flash red lights and give them uh, microaggressive kind of, maybe they've been microaggressed. The transformative left, right? That sounds better. Yeah. The transformative left, the innovative left has lost its intellectual superiority, which it had throughout the 19th and 20th century. So if we look at all of the major cultural figures in the world, Right. Or if we look at economists, you know, writers, musicians, folk musicians, journalists, a huge percentage of them in, all, in every country around the world or, you know, uh, subscribe to some kind of transformative uh, anti-capitalism. Right. So, I mean, we can in, in our own countries, whether it's Bulgaria, the Bulgarian intellectual elite, the Bulgarian journalistic elite, you know, some of most of them, which was killed off before World War Two. Uh, so in other words, Revolutionary socialism or, or transformative communism uh, has lost its intellectual superiority relative its political enemies. And my, my personal interest is how do we begin to recapture that? It has to happen with, like I think what Boyan said, we need to drop the dead baggage, which means we need to stop talking politically using the words and the ideas of the liberals. 
Liberals are the, the dominant political uh, uh, enemy worldwide. They're the, the, the dominant political ideology of the capitalist class globally, right? So the left has to cease using liberal concepts, microaggression, you know, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We need to resuscitate and invent appropriate political language that is relevant to people today. Stop using words like uh, low net worth individuals, economically disadvantaged people. Human resources. Human resources, which comes directly right from the managerial. Yeah, but, uh, but, 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 but if we go, but, but uh, I, I, I somewhat agree with you, although I, 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 I think, I, I think those are, I think those are very minor points, but, but this goes back to the beginning of the conversation. My thesis moving beyond anti-communism leftism and, you know, you're, you know, you're based in the U.S. I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm in Belgium, and I live just right next door to, to, to the U.K. Where, and by the way, and I, and I just want to make an apology. Although Dr. Cornell West does subscribe to some kind of anti-communism leftism, that's not been his raison d'être. When I talk about anti-communism leftism, I'm talking about Professor Noam Chomsky. I'm talking about the various Trotskyist movements. I don't like much of the Trotskyist movement, but even the best of the Trotskyist movement, like the World Socialist website, for example. And then you have people like I.F. Stone, uh, uh, Naomi Klein, in her in her book, The Shock Doctrine, which, uh, which, which, which was an important political education for people to show you that austerity is rotten to the core. And she talked about what happened in Eastern Europe and Russia as, as Boyan often says, a civilizational downgrade. But even she herself subscribes a lot to and to the anti-communism leftism and apparently and you know she said that joseph stalin was in, uh, you know was engaging in genocide and okay stalin may have engaged in politicide but he was not but he did not engage in genocide and then apparently you know the source that that, that she was citing this was uh uh, what was what was some anti-communism book which was actually founded by you know the far right Eastern European uh, Russian uh, expats uh, community. So, so you're just. Uh, I'm going to yeah. say something that may sound kind of crude and very dogmatic, but I deeply believe in it. I think the Western left, uh, in general, obviously the, the 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 exceptions don't apply here, but I think the Western left, which is dominant in disseminating socialist or whatever ideas we want to call throughout the world, because of the predominant hegemonic position of the West in the world uh, has never achieved a significant political victory over the capitalist class in its own societies. It has never claimed state power and attempted to overcome or move beyond uh, capitalist society and try to build a post-capitalist society, whatever that may mean. So the Western Marxist tradition is one of political failure. On the highest level, they have not been able to defeat the capitalist class in their own countries. And but they have made been... major gains. You can't deny that there's been... But gains are... Yes, that's true. That's true, Yuri. But, but gains are... That there's been an incredible workers' rights movement in Britain, in the United States, in Canada. Yes. That have made major gains. But of course, those major gains get quickly taken away due to the fact exactly. that it still is a capitalist system. So, Yuri, I agree with you, but my point is that the, there's a qualitative difference between major workers' gains, which are obviously significant, 
versus an entire revolutionary transformation, which opens the possibility for moving beyond this primitive system called capitalism. Okay. The yeah. Soviet system, China, Vietnam, Cuba, Eastern Europe in its period between 45 and you know, 89, uh, went through this period. And I think the historical lessons of that period are invaluable and they're completely different from the West. So I think, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the, the utility of Western Marxism is of highly dubious value to somebody like me. Because politically, they have not achieved anything of strategic significance. So for somebody to criticize the Soviet Union or Stalin or, you know, uh, Lenin versus Luxembourg or, uh, you know, the Bulgarian transformations after 1944, through the language of liberal capitalism, democracy, human rights, uh, uh, private property, individual rights at the expense of the collective rights, because they never talk about collective rights. Because the elimination of homelessness and joblessness in Bulgaria from 1944 to 1989 is invisible in most of these analyses in the West. But the lack of liberal individual freedoms is talked about constantly. So I think, I think personally, and I'm not going to convince my, my Western friends, I agree just like Boyan, because it's a qualitatively different lived experience. Uh, Western Marxism is a very limited utility, and I think we should let it rest. I think we should let it rest and focus on the successful examples of innovative, transformative socialist ideas, which we can find in countries outside of the West. You know, uh, actually, 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 <laughs> that's actually, my provocation. You know, actually, in in response to that, uh, let me uh, let me play devil's advocate and 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 uh, because I know for a fact many people are going to say, you know, you guys are a bunch of apologists for 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 a rotten uh, system in which the workers weren't uh, the workers weren't in control over the means of production gah, 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 and all that stuff. So, uh, well, so maybe they were not controlling them directly, but they were much closer, much closer than they are. Yes, okay, much so, closer. So, 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 and so, I was so. so okay, so uh, wait, 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 uh, b- 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 uh, wait, wait. Yeah, let me ask this question then. So. Boyan, you have said many times, and I watched that brilliant program about Gorbachev's uh, legacy with uh, Pat Byrne. I really, really enjoyed that. I think many people, especially the Western left, should watch that interview. But you've often said uh, on my program and on that program that the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, you did not have to um, destroy them. There are reforms that needed to be done and they should have been redone, but that you did not need to completely have eradicate the communist system. But then what do you but but then what do you say to people who say that, well, uh, Czechoslovakia tried to have their uh, their socialism, the mm. socialism. I, I don't like the uh, well, yeah, the, the socialism with, 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 you know, with with with, with the human face. And then the Soviet tanks came in <laughs> and destroyed them. And then, so 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 how do you respond to that, and because in your in, in you and Maria's conversation with Pat, you talked about how how when Gorbachev uh, about how it, not just Gorbachev, but when anyone tried to reform the system of, of, of the USSR, they were either met with with extreme uh, you know they were either met with extreme marginalization or brutality and whatnot. So people became too afraid to share their opinions, and a lot of self censorship uh, evolved. So yes, yeah, so so, so, Look, so when it comes to when it comes to those uh, moments in the history of the Soviet Union or the history of the Eastern Bloc or China or Cuba or you know Venezuela you know whatever other countries that are subscribing to the idea of socialism communism and so on and so forth, I think there were many mistakes. 
you know, many mistakes were made. Mistakes happen in uh, every system because uh, regardless of whether we're going to have, you know, whether it's China or socialism with Chinese characteristics or Soviet Union with Soviet characteristics or Romania and Albania with their characteristics, uh, you know, mistakes happen and everybody mm. makes those mistakes. The question is how you tackle it. And, you know, you can either look at this fringy, at all those fringy groups uh, and 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 sort of enter into deliberations, whether they are anti-communist, where is it coming from, or how do you want to go about it, which I personally think is meaningless. Or you can look at serious communist politics, serious communist politics, which is like big communist parties, which are, for example, one category, is it, which are in power. So let's have a look at the Communist Party uh, of China, okay? CPC, Chinese Communist Party. What do they do? What do they say about those mistakes? Well, they say they were horrible mistakes and they should never be repeated. And we should caliber the movement and our program and our party and our approach and our practice and our practical, uh, you know, execution of politics. We should calibrate it in a way to avoid those mistakes and to avoid encountering conditions or creating conditions that could lead us to responses which could uh, result in major mistakes, right? So oh boy, huh? they've dealt with it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So they've mm-hmm. dealt with it. They said, like, we've had this. You know, Mao Zedong was a great person and a great revolutionary, which I believe, which I believe is true. He has made some horrible mistakes. Those mistakes should never be repeated. Those mistakes should remain a critical part of our history. They they don't want to eradicate it. They don't want to wipe it off their history books. They say it was there like, I don't know, the Cultural Revolution or something like that. Horrible mistake. Nonsense, you know, on its face, like when you look at it in retrospective, at least. Okay, we, we, we don't want to repeat that. And they say that. So, you know, I, can, I, I think we can say pretty safely that the Chinese Communist Party is not going to repeat those mistakes. Can you say that safely about any of those anti-communist left groups if they were given power? What kind of mess they would produce? And, and in what kind of mess it would end up. So, you know, I, I think I think we should really try and be serious about it. Like, if you are serious and if you sort of filter the kind of political reality that you want to approach through this prism of seriousness, I'm telling you, you will end up doing a lot less things and caring about a lot less things, organizations, groups and people. Which I think is very, uh, which I think is very important if we if we want to tackle a serious problem. And the second and the second segment of uh, let's say my twofold response here is what Arto said about, uh, you know, the leftists today, I mean, those who subscribe to the leftist ideas, being ignorant about their past, uh, wanting to sort of reject their history because it's somehow too too heavy to uh, uh, to carry because people attack you because of that. And then, you know, it's very... Oh, they're overcompensating. Yeah, all right, all right. But, but, but then, you know, the question is, the question is, what was the problem? What was the problem? Where were you guys for the last 30 years? What was the problem in, you know, analyzing those mistakes, producing books, producing all kinds of, you know, uh, political materials, brochures, articles, analysis, and all the rest of it, in order to think and come to some conclusive solution, why have both of the symbolic and... and m- both of the most important, historically speaking, concepts of the left that have manifested themselves practically, that is the Soviet system and the the Western social democracy, why have both of them failed? And neither the people who were, uh, you know, uh, who 
who were on the left in the West or in the East have actually taken on this task seriously. There are some works, there are some people who have done a brilliant job analyzing this or that, but no one has really taken on trying to figure out in its totality, in its, you know, holistically speaking, what had failed, why was that, and what can be improved, and how to go about it in the future. So this is, this is, in my opinion, those two elements, when you put them together, you get the answer. The third segment we're going, we're, we're going to attack uh, uh, Western left, uh, anti-communist leftism. <laughs> before we do that, and before, uh, but before we do that, uh, the counter-arguments uh, people would say when you bring up uh, China as the model of, uh, of socialism, socialism slash communism, is that China is actually a capitalist uh, system. It's a one-party, it's, it's a fake one-party uh, communist state that has embraced corporatism. The only reason why they have a middle class is at the expense of the working class because they allow themselves to be prostituted with <clears throat> Microsoft, Google, and you name whatever company which has sent all of their jobs to China to exploit the working class, use them for cheaper labor. So how, how do you respond to... But I think this discussion about China is the subject of a different topic. I had a conversation with Pat Byrne about it, and I think we're overstretching the you know okay. the limits of the program here. We can answer it very briefly if we have yeah. like a second. China is going through what the Soviet Union went through uh, and what the Eastern European uh, Bulgaria went through in the first in the 30 years of its history, 40 years, is they have a political project of modernizing their society as rapidly as possible. And you, you can only do that by incorporating the latest uh, social organizational forms and techniques of the most advanced part of the world, which is your political enemy, which is the capitalist West. So that's what explains their choices since uh, at least since Deng Xiaoping's reform, but before that from the Soviet Union, you know, economic aid. The point is it's for them, it's a temporary, they have a much larger horizon, right? Chinese politics operates on thousand year horizon, they say. So it's a temporary situation for them to uh, essentially catch up, which they already did. And once they do that, we're already starting to see trans uh, movement on the left, at least from official political pronouncements, strategic pronouncements, that's exactly what happened in the Soviet Union before, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. up until Stalin's death, basically. After that, uh, significant parts of the Soviet uh, party elite decided to be liberals. And just like the Russian historian uh, Andrei Fursov has written a lot about, <clears throat> unfortunately not translated into English, and once again, that literature is not available to the Western audiences, but the most brilliant analysis, the Soviet party elite, or increasingly dominant part of it, decided in the 1960s, that it's no longer satisfied with being a caste, like a ruling kind of uh, uh, party bureaucracy. It decided to become a class and privatized mm -hmm. the public wealth. So that's the demise of the Soviet Union, starting from the 1967 plenum. There's a date where the Soviet party under uh, post-Khrushchev, under uh, Smyslov and <clears throat> nominally under Brezhnev, decided to rejoin the global economy, which means the capitalist economy on their terms. That's the beginning of Gorbachev. Gorbachev was just the last the Chinese party didn't make that mistake in Tiananmen Square. And the rest is history, yeah. as they say. Okay, we, we got to go exactly. to a hard break. So uh, let's just uh, let's just drop it. You know, let's just conclude it here. And we're uh, we're all meet, going to meet up in the next segment. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being with us. Uh, and uh, please consider donating so that we can develop our platform and our show here. Uh, you can find the links in the description box of every uh every episode, basically. So thanks once more and see you 
See you soon.